You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Ryan Boudinot. He's the author of Misconception, a short story collection called The Littlest Hitler. His new novel is Blueprints of the Afterlife. Thank you for joining me, Ryan. Yeah, thank you. Ryan, you've written uh, across a spectrum. And, you know, when I look at um, Misconception, I really see the seeds of, of Blueprints for the Afterlife in that novel. And I'd like you to, to talk about how you made that journey from a novel that looks and has some of the feel of a regular novel set in the regular world to a novel that's set in a very fantastic version of our world. Sure. So um, Misconception, I decided that you know any weirdness in that novel would be structural. So um, I decided to keep the sentences pretty simple and keep the uh, emotions pretty real and uh, the situation uh, conceivable um, but to play with the notion of uh, truth-telling and history and and different versions of the past that people carry around with them uh, with uh, blueprints of the afterlife I was more interested in um, doing fun things at the sentence level making them a little crazier and uh, exploring things that were totally out of the realm of conceivability now, one of the things that uh, interests me is uh, your sense of story. Uh, so, because when you talk about revising the past and different identities, I think, you know, we define ourselves by the stories we tell, which are often not true. Sure. And, you know, in the process of remembering our past, we alter it. And that's sort of an unusual thing um, that I've, you know, found the older I get is that, you know, you start making up stories using your narrative powers that draw upon things that actually happen but in the process you end up changing them to the point where you know you encounter people who experience the same thing who have radically different memories it's interesting to 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 realize that we are all at heart fantasists and writing fantasies whether or not they include uh, surreal worlds or not and i think uh, talk a little bit about uh that kind of uh, sense of past revision as it happens in, in misconception. Yeah, so misconception um, it goes back and forth between two primary characters, uh, a couple named Cedar and Cat, and uh, they knew each other when they were young people, when they were uh, just going into high school, and they experienced a sort of a tragic summer. And um, years later, they meet up again in a uh, motel in New York, and they end up... Uh, well, it turns out that Kat is uh, writing a memoir about that experience, and so she has been told by her publisher that she has to run it by Cedar because she uh, tell, she writes it from his point of view in a number of places. And so as he reads it, they uh, he finds things in it that are clash with his version of events, and that's where this sort of narrative tension ensues. I really like that idea of having somebody else revise your own past and that in a sense giving somebody else a shot at revising who you are yeah and it carries into blueprints of the afterlife too and with this um i have a particular i have a character named skinner who um is obsessed with the past and in this future scenario uh, people can offload their memories they can decide to get rid of 
um, unpleasant memories they've had and sort of uh, uh, down or, you know, upload them basically and forget about them. And so this guy um, has wandered around, you know, for a hundred years with these horrible memories of this cataclysmic period. Um, and he is uh, nonetheless drawn to revisit those memories. And that's part of the book. Talk about creating this future world, which I think has a lot of really interesting aspects of it. And uh, it seems like the the future that you've designed is itself a character because of the way that people, that stories play within this future, that it becomes a character by virtue of that. Yeah, I wanted to create something, like I wanted to contribute something to the post-apocalyptic genre, which I've been a fan of for a long time. And and the way that I thought about it is that what I would do is create sort of a post-post-apocalyptic period. So something after things have kind of mellowed out a little bit. And and so the survivors of this future period are in this process of interpreting what it was that happened. And there's a lot of sort of half-baked theories about what actually went down. And people are, are fairly uncertain uh, about not only what happened, but with how the world that they're in actually operates. And and so I, I thought about a lot of, um, you know, I had this sort of epiphany one night while I was thinking about um, science fiction in general and, and thinking about the th- one of the things that bothered me was when, you know, a, a future scenario in which everybody is savvy with all the technology, when everyone knows exactly how all the technology works. And I thought about how I operate my phone and how I have no clue how that thing works and and, and, and the idea that a, a, a user interface is not the same thing as truly understanding how something operates and so I applied that to this future world where uh, you have people running around using this sort of biological internet and they're sort of unsure about how it actually functions and you have these massive supercomputers that no one understands and people are kind of clueless I really love playing with that idea of cluelessness. Uh, that uh, is something that that w- would make that book. I think um, it's it, it's not so different from now <laughs> in the in the first place. But it also gives you access to uh, playing with your characters' backstories and and this kind of this idea of what story is. And I think that's what draws us to to novels is is you know the idea of you know, substituting that story, living in somebody else's shoes and substituting that story for our own. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about, uh, creating the characters for this after, for this post post apocalypse. Yeah. So I had a couple characters in mind and, and, and I just sort of went with them. I had, um, this guy, this sort of, uh, uh, supernaturally gifted dishwasher, uh, named Wu Jin, who um, I just sort of played with for a while, and then he kind of led me into this other story with another character um, named Abby, who uh, is a future like digital archivist. Um, and then I I thought about you know I wanted to have sort of a uh, kind of a macho action movie figure in it, um, so I came up with this Skinner guy um, and. Uh, to round it out, I, I threw in a um, character who's sort of a future movie star, uh, who's this kind of pompous, uh, egotistical uh, figure who um, 
travels a red carpet from Hollywood to Puget Sound. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just kind of followed the characters around for a while in the first draft. And, and then later as I went over, uh, you know, subsequent drafts, I found connections between them and I found ways in which they could intersect. But there's a, there's just sort of a, you know, sparse intersection between a, a lot of these folks, but, um, yeah, they were fun. Talk about uh, crafting this novel, which is wild and kind of out there, as opposed to misconception, which is really tightly wound down. I mean, this is like the difference between playing a, a dobro and conducting a symphony orchestra. Yeah, well, I had a different metaphor but that I had in mind while I was writing it. And, and when I was writing Misconception, I thought of myself as uh, whittling a stick down to a sharp point. And you know, making sure that every, like, there was no fat in it at all, that I cut any possible thing that was extraneous and just boiled it down to its essence. And so my attention to the sentences was about them sort of load-bearing the plot, and they were it wasn't about um, creating anything that was sort of inherently beautiful on the sentence level. And then um, with Blueprints of the Afterlife, I was far more interested in, uh, exploring the possibilities of an individual sentence. So the sentence became kind of the unit of measurement. And I think for me, the the difference, <clears throat> I imagine, you know, standing, sitting on a stage and strumming an acoustic guitar for misconception, that's sort of what I had in mind. And then for Blueprints of the Afterlife, I imagined like a huge stage show with pyro and backup dancers and and, you know, a 50-piece band and something. So, you know, I wanted it to go over the top. I wanted it to be a big, exciting, massive undertaking. You worked in uh, completely mainstream fiction and in completely wild and weird fiction. Do you, is your heart in either one, or do you just roam wherever you feel like it? Well, I'm always, I, you know, I always want to do something completely different than the last thing. Um, and I want to... I want to play the whole game I want to play I want to be able to do anything I want to be able to write short stories I want to um you know write literary fiction and uh stuff that's more speculative I'm you know drawn um in many different directions um depending on on the book uh so I think you know the the next book will be wildly different from this one or from the last three so yeah do you know anything about it I do, but I'm keeping it very close to the vest. <laughs> I've been speaking with Ryan Boudinot. His new novel is Blueprints of the Afterlife. Thank you for joining me, Ryan. Thank you. My pleasure. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.